took a food to the east of the earth and to the birds of the sky. That all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord, because they have been only a staff made of reeds to the house of Israel. <coughs> when they took hold of you with the hand, you broke and tore all their hands. And when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their limbs quake. To twelve. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon you a sword, and I will cut you off from you, and cut off from you man and beast. The land of Egypt will become a desolation and a waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Because you said that I was mine, and I am made. Therefore, behold, I am against you, and against you, and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and a desolation, from Michael to Zion, and even to the border of Ethiopia. A man's foot will not pass through it, and the foot of the beast will not pass through it, and it will not be inhabited for forty years. So I'll make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of a des- of desolated land, and her cities in the midst of the ci- uh, in the midst of cities that are laid waste will be des- desolate for forty years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the world. Very good. So uh, this is uh, in the tenth year, the tenth month, the twelfth of the month, a very precisely dated uh, prophecy, a little bit before Jerusalem fell. And uh, this is a prophecy against Egypt and the Pharaoh. And um, as are all of the prophecies in these chapters, um, what would have been the significance for God's people to hear so much about Egypt's fall. That's exactly right. They depended upon them so much. Would turn to them. Hello? Hello? So, of course. Um, you know, Judah always thought that Egypt would be their savior. You know, they'd make a treaty with Egypt, thinking that they could trust Egypt to rescue them whenever some other great world power was threatening them. And uh, these oracles show that that's not going to happen. Why isn't it going to happen? Bye. Yeah, but really by God, yeah. What he says in the beginning of verse 3, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That pretty well seals Egypt's fate. When God's against us, we're uh, not going to make it. And he pictures Egypt here as what? Yes. I don't know exactly what you want to think about with that, um, but what about thinking about like some big crocodile? Or something like that. I think that would be a decent picture. And uh, this great sea monster, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, what's his attitude in verse 3? Yeah. As a result of that, what was God going to do? Catch him and drag him up out of the river. Precisely. God was going to go on a crocodile hunt. And uh, he was going to drag him up out of the river. Not really just him either. What else was going to be drug up? Everything. All the fish. Well, which fish? Yeah, you had all these fish clinging to 
uh, this crocodile scales, I assume that those fish that were clinging to the scales would have been like Egypt's allies. Like maybe Judah. I picture uh, parasite fish on the side of a whale or something. Yeah, I think that's the idea. They're sort of feeding off of this crocodile, and so they're going to end up getting the same uh, disastrous fate. Um, and so they're all going to be brought up out of the river and left where? Where? That's exactly right. Out there in the wilderness, in the open field. Um, and, uh, you know, the crocodile abandoned in the wilderness would die. And what would happen to him then? What happens to the dead crocodile? He is eaten. By? The birds and the beasts. Yes. The vultures and the wolves and whatever. And uh, that's not a very pleasant end. You remember that the pharaohs had a great deal of concern about how their bodies were treated when they died. <laughs> remember? What do we know about that? What would they do with their bodies? Make mummies. Make mummies, that's right. And put them where? expensive too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, that, it was very important to the pharaohs to have an honorable burial. And often they'd be buried even with, like, stuff. I think, thinking that they could take it with them. It didn't really work. Uh, but, but it, so it's a disgrace for pharaoh to uh, just be left out for the, to be food for the beasts and the birds. Um, and uh, in verse 6 what's, 6 and 7 what's the reason God gives for treating Egypt this way right, that's one thing uh, we ever heard that in Ezekiel yeah but why else what had um, Egypt's fault been Well, it says that um, Egypt had been a staff of reed to the house of Israel, and when, when Israel tried to lean on the Egyptians for help and sustenance, they just made life a Yes, exactly. Egypt had not been a trustworthy friend. They had, you know, encouraged these alliances that Judah made with them, but then when Judah tried to actually rely on the pact, Egypt, Egypt sort of wimped out every single time. They were like a, a sort of a, a broken reed. You know, they took hold of you with their hand and you broke and tore all their hands. Just kind of punctured their hand. Didn't provide any support, obviously. A reed, you know, kind of a, I don't know what you call a reed, kind of a, kind of like a thick thick grass <laughs> yeah. you know, real thick uh, but certainly won't support the weight of a nation you know and barely support the weight of you know a small animal I guess um, and, and that reminds you of even what the Assyrian Rabshakeh had said uh -huh. some years earlier uh, when he was talking to Hezekiah's men on the wall back in like Isaiah 36 that Egypt is a broken reed 
you know, you can't trust Egypt. They don't, they don't do anything. Well, Ezekiel's using the same expression. God is uh, through Ezekiel saying, you know, you guys didn't really help um, Israel when they turned to you. Therefore, God's going to bring the sword on them, make the land desolate and waste, um, and and really devastate the nation of Egypt. What comments and thoughts do you have on all this? Israel wasn't supposed to land on Egypt. No. So it seems kind of weird that Egypt was punished for not supporting Israel. Well, I, I think the deal is Egypt promised they would. Egypt uh-huh. is wrong for going back on their commitment, even though Israel should never have turned to it. Uh-huh. That's what I think you've got. It reminds me how humanitarian this book is. Um, you know, remembering back to all of the nations that didn't show mercy and uh, were good humanitarians. It's always been such a liberal-minded thought to be so humanitarian, but that's what God seems to want from us. Why do you think that is? Because God is love. And he wants us to love each other, I guess. I agree. I, I think that, you know, God's standards are standards that he intends to be applied even in nations' relationships with each other. Standards of love, I would even say standards of justice and fairness. You know, that that's more the idea here. You know, you make a commitment, you stick with, you stick with it. Um, but but certainly he expects kindness and generosity and love as well, and and you know we get to thinking that as long as they're not our kind, we really don't have any responsibility to treat them right. Certainly wouldn't have a responsibility to love them, and that's so foreign to what you see throughout the Old Testament. God made a special point of how the Israelites ought to treat foreigners in their land. Constantly saying, because you know what it's like, you were a foreigner in the land of Egypt. And so you have to treat the foreigners right. You know, some of the later attitudes that the Jews developed toward the other nations were definitely not biblical attitudes. They didn't get them from their Old Testament. They got them because that's what they wanted to do. We sometimes imagine that, you know, the Old Testament said, you know, you ought to mistreat all the foreigners with you and stick your nose up in the air and so forth. But that's not what it said at all. Now, granted, there were times when nations were to be punished by Israel. They were to be wiped out of whatever. Israel was an instrument of judgment in God's hand. But they were always commanded to treat the foreigners who were among them well. And, uh, and here is more of a global thing. The nations are supposed to treat each other well and certainly honor their commitments to each other. That's a really good observation. And it isn't necessarily what you think, yeah. Were they supposed to treat them well, but they were not supposed to make treaties with them? God wanted them to depend on them, but he didn't want you to say, oh, I need you to protect me or allies, right? For Israel, that's exactly right. Israel was never supposed to make covenants with these other nations because they were supposed to just rely on God. But the nations were supposed to be decent and civil even toward each other. There's a passage in, and we, I think we studied this a long time ago, in uh, Amos, 
chapter 1 um, that, uh, in fact, several passages um, like in Amos 1.6 he rebukes Gaza because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom you see that in, in 9 but then look at 2.1 this is really amazing 2.1 of Amos Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the the bones of the king of Edom to lime, so I will send fire upon Moab. Now what is Moab being punished for? Desecrating the bones of the Edomite king. We would expect the nation to be punished because they didn't treat God's people right. We don't normally think of God God punishing them because they didn't treat other nations right. I think that's a very revealing thing to realize that he expected them to treat even the the king of Edom correctly. Not to desecrate his bones. And and remember, were the Edomites special allies of Israel? (laughs) They were a wicked ordinary, arrogant nation, and still in all, Moab did not have the right to burn the bones of the king of Eden. God's going to punish Moab for that. You see God's an international God, but you also see that he has expectations of fairness and justice and kindness, even of the Moabites toward the Edomites. I do think we don't tend to think about that very much. We almost tend to have some of those same sort of kind of... Uh, I don't know, arrogant, uh, we're better than everybody else attitudes. Uh, and, you know, I continue to, uh, I continue to harp on, uh, you know, how we treat people that are different from what we are. You know, whether we're talking about blacks or Hispanics or other foreigners or people who are handicapped or the widows and the orphans or whatever. It's all that class of people or, or the people who are morally beneath us. You know, those are the people that that Jesus would reach out to and that he would find hurt him gladly. It's the people that constantly, in the Old Testament, God was commanding them to be kind toward him. And uh, God just hates pride and arrogance. And uh, so... Question. I don't know, maybe this is a little bit handed, but God created them just like he created us, so why do we think we're any better? Because we're all from the same source. Uh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous. I guess when you initially asked the question, my thought was, you know, it's pride. That's why they're being kind of, I mean, we just are arrogant. And even then, back there, you know, Egypt is arrogant and thinks they're better. And God wants to keep us humble. Well, look at what he says in 9 again. Because you said, the Nile is mine and I've made it. Therefore, behold, I'm against you. God is against pride and arrogance. And that is so much the downfall of of nations and people and and you know we get to thinking we're better than everybody else and we even think you know we're more or less better than God you know we're sort of self-made men or nations or whatever and that kind of attitude is fatal what was God actually going to do to Egypt here for 40 years yeah He was not going to destroy them permanently like he would many of the other nations. But for 40 years, they were going to be desolate and and destroyed. God would humble them greatly, uh, even though they would end up 
continuing to maintain their national status, which is really intriguing that this is the case with Egypt, because, you know, many of the other nations you never hear about. I mean, got any Philistines around today, or any Moabites, or any Assyrians, or whatever, you know, you can go on and on. But you do have Egyptians. You know, Egypt still exists. <clears throat> All right, other comments or thoughts through 12? Weren't they actually desolate? Like, I don't know about that. So you don't know if that was actually No, I don't know. I don't know about there being a time that nobody lived in Egypt. I don't think that's necessarily what he's uh, saying here. That that uh, you know, uh, verse eleven might be if you wanted to use a passage for that. But I think he's just he's, this is a, a strong figure. Not necessarily that there wouldn't be any single animal or man in Egypt. Yes, that's correct. In fact, he'll say in the next uh, section that Egypt will never again be a great kingdom. They'll just be a lowly kingdom. Which is true today. You know, Egypt is not one of the world's great superpowers. It's a lowly kingdom. Other comments? Questions? Why was there a difference with Egypt? Like, why did he have them come back and not necessarily others? There is a passage, but I cannot recall where it is. I don't remember if it's in this overall section or not. Where Egypt's attitude of at least try, sort of wanting to help his people seemed to be the reason that he didn't do that. But I don't remember where that passage is. I really don't. So I can't... Uh, I don't know. But also it's weird that he has so much to say about them and how bad they were, but then they're also the ones that he's going to bring back. I know. God's very merciful. He does uh, a lot that you would think he wouldn't do or wouldn't want to do either. Thus says the Lord God, At the end of forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered, and I will turn the fortunes of Egypt, and make them return to the land of Paphos, to the land of their origin, and there they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest of the kingdom, and it will never again lift itself up above above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will not rule over the nations, and it will never again be the confidence of the house of Israel bringing to mind the iniquity of their having turned to Egypt, then they will know that I am the Lord God. Okay. Um, so, at the end of 40 years, what would God do? God does them back up. Yeah. Yes. And they would again be a kingdom, but a lowly kingdom. Never exalted like they had been before. Never a, a nation ruling over the nations. 
and Israel therefore uh, will never trust in them again uh, which is what God was trying to accomplish with this so that the lowliness of Egypt from here on out is going to keep Israel from thinking they could trust in Egypt to, to bail them out comments and questions what this is uh, about um, about 588 uh, or so right here. So where are we in 540? I don't know what you mean. Where are we at 548? She means the 40 years. I don't know that Egypt oh. will be destroyed right at this time. Yeah, I don't know that the 40 years starts here. Probably starts later when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Babylon. So do we have a record? We do not have much information about all of that. At least that I know about. What I've read is that we don't we don't know a lot about exactly what happened to Egypt during that period of time after that. Do we know when they came back? No, that some of that is uh, some of that is probably more of a difficulty for us. So we don't know a lot about what happened as a result of Nebuchadnezzar's invasion. And, you know, to what extent they were carried away captive or returned or whatever. So, at least from what I've read, you don't have much information. Just a modern power house anymore. There's not much history about killing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, and, well, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, spin in the reporting back in those days. If you had Egyptian annals, they would only report Egyptian victories. You know, I mean, they were bad about that. They'd report them as they were retreating, but every time they won a victory and then retreated back some more, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, you know, sometimes you have a hard time even figuring out what happened when you read the oracles, the chronicles, or whatever of a particular country. They'd always report them favorably, regardless of what happened. Other comments through 16. I just thought it was interesting. I guess Israel's going to look at Egypt and see how small they are and think that it was really silly that they ever trusted in them. Is that that thing? Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. They're going to realize how wrong they were to have trusted in them, uh-huh. and they uh, will never again trust in Egypt. I was going to cure them of that. That's pretty good. That was good. It would be helpful if we did the same thing with the things that we trust in. Yes. Yeah, if the Lord would uh, give us a few object lessons as to how uh, impotent those things are, it might help us. Mm-hmm. All right, how about 17 to 21? And it came to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder rubbed raw. Yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre for the labor which they expended on it. Therefore thus said the Lord God, I surely, surely I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away her wealth, carry off her spoil, remove her pillage, and that will be the wages for his army. 
I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor, because they worked for me, says the Lord God. In that day I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth, and I will open your mouth to speak in their midst. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. This is another uh, message, another dated prophecy, but in this case, in what year? 27th year, which makes this the latest prophecy of Ezekiel. Um, about These aren't in chronological order. No, they're not. <laughs> I don't know. Probably some reason, but I can't tell you. The prophets generally aren't in chronological order. Ever read Jeremiah? No. <laughs> well, you ought to. It's a good book. I have yet. Um, I had a different question. <laughs> um, but it's not in chronological order. Great. All of these so mixed up. <laughs> I gathered that. Um, I was wondering, the 27th year of what? Good question. The 27th year of what? I think, look at um, Ezekiel 1-2. I couldn't hear James. I don't know what he said, but we're gonna, we're gonna clean James's ears out, and then maybe he can talk. Uh, are we gonna have him irrigated? Uh, I, bought, I bought him six ear candles today. <laughs> it's gross. It sounds gross. <laughs> but I think it might work. Will it work? I hear it works. Haven't yeah. you done it before? Yeah. What are you doing? You have it. Uh, I've heard several people done it before, but uh, you, you, I, 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 you light a fire at the end of this this ear candle there, <laughs> right? And it kind of creates a vacuum and it sucks out the garbage out of your ear. It fills the candle. Isn't that the idea? I could imagine doing that. With you after the study, can we do that in lunch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think his mother would probably want to do it. But. <laughs> <laughs> he better needs to come next time, don't we all? It'd be kind of cool uh, to see. I'd kind of like to see it myself. I've never seen it work. Can you see it? No. Well, well, you'll get like this much. Oh, I think you're a more. Yeah, I think yeah. you see it. Why does that say Because. Because it burns, just like when it's yeah, and, and they, it sucks oxygen by the fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, oxygen, or I mean the fire eats up the oxygen. Is that hollow? Is the candle hollow? Yes. Okay. Then it's just pulling air out. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, like a thermometer. Like I bought them at a health food store. A health food store? A health store. Come on. Didn't take any air Simon Harris uses it. Yeah, it works. Uh-huh. Yeah. Does he use them periodically? Yeah, I mean he uses it with his boy who has a lot of ear problems. Mm-hmm. Simon Harris. So I'm hoping that when James comes back next week, he'll be a whole new person. Oh, we won't change him that much. <laughs> <laughs> we can always hope. Anyhow, in Ezekiel one two. Ear candles and Ezekiel one two. <laughs> 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 On the fifth of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. I think that the dates from here on out in Ezekiel are based upon King Jehoiachin's exile. That was in 597-ish. How long was he exiled? Oh, for years. Uh, I mean, he didn't ever come back, but he stayed around in exile for a long, long time. 
because like uh, oh, in the end of Second Chronicles, I think. Um, no, where is it? I wasn't there then. Where does it say that he did like they? I don't know. They changed their mind and busted. Were they nice to him? Yeah, they were nice to him. Where I is that? I thought that wasn't the end of Second well, I didn't find it in the end of Second Kings. Well, I think it's there. Here we go. In the end of Second Kings, it came about in the thirty-seventh year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison, and he spoke kindly to him and set his throne above the throne of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes and had his meals in the king's presence regularly all the days of his life. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, a uh, portion for each day, all the days of his life. So that's what happened at the end of Jehoiachin's life. Where were you? I was the very end of Second Kings, 25 verses 27 to 30. So he was exiled for 37 years, and we're talking... Well, yeah, 37 years, and then he was released, and I don't know how much longer he stayed over there. 27 this is the 27th year of his exile, putting us down to, I don't know what, uh, 571-ish, something like that. And this message is that what would happen? What had happened? Nebuchadnezzar worked against Tyre, but wasn't paid for it. Exactly. Nebuchadnezzar and his army, the Babylonians, they had worked hard for the Lord in their battle against Tyre. To the point where every head was made bald and every shoulder was rubbed bare. And uh, But they didn't get any loot out of it. They didn't get any rewards commensurate with their efforts. But the Lord is a fair-minded uh, employer. And since they didn't get anything out of Tyre and worked so hard, God gives them what is a consolation prize? Egypt. Egypt. So Egypt becomes the payment God gives to Nebuchadnezzar for his hard work for him besieging Tyre. How do you know, and I'm missing something, that he was working for God against Tyre? <laughs> well, uh, because God pays him the wages. <laughs> And because of verse 28, verse 20. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. You're Nothing like the Bible. <laughs> the way it says that. <laughs> How do you know that's not the way because they acted for me to praise the Lord? Yeah, I think when you read that whole thing. Yeah, the context kind of indicates it. Yeah. He's giving him Egypt for the labor which he performed because they acted for me. And uh, I think it connects back with 18 where he had no wages from Tyre for the labor that he had performed against it. This labor of 18 is still the labor of 20. So what he does is God sends him down to Egypt to haul off the plunder and the spoil and that'll be his payment, his, his uh, compensation for the work he did for God against Tyre. It's kind of interesting to see how the Lord orchestrates everything. Uh, what happened to the treasures of Tyre? Because I thought, I, I mean, I forgot. That was when I was here the last time when we were talking about Well, 
one of the things that Tyre did is they took their stuff and went to the island off the coast. So that's probably the reason that Nebuchadnezzar did not actually get loot out of it. Even though he managed to exterminate the city of Tyre as it had been, the Tyrians ended up being out there on the island. Other comments and questions? I'm assuming that the Babylonians didn't understand that this was what was happening. I would be very surprised if they did. Okay. But it was what was happening, whether they understood it or not. Right. Do nations today understand what's happening? Not usually. Don't even care. But God still acts in uh, ways to bring up righteous nations and bring down wicked ones. Verse 9, it says, And thus says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Yes. So he's calling him his servant back. So that kind of tells more that clarifies that a little bit. Well, yeah, and that is such an amazing thing that God called. Uh, uh, 25, verse 9. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that God, God viewed Nebuchadnezzar as being his servant. It was kind of an unconscious service on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. But he was actually working for the Lord. Now, is this, I might be wrong, is, is Jeremiah 25 kind of, is it talking about the same time frame? Yes. It's, talking about, it's the same. It's the same time frame. Now, it's not the same invasion. It's talking okay. here about him invading Judah. But it's the same basic time frame. Well, in verse, it mentions Tyrus then on down, I think it should. Yes, it does on down. Uh, verse 22, the cup that the other nations would have to drink, the cup of God's wrath. So that would be correct. I think so. one invasion, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a long one, but yeah. Um, I know this is kind of a question of speculation, but I know the Babylonians, didn't they worship like a, a golden calf kind of thing? I don't even know. Because, I mean, I mean, I look at that and I know that God said that that was his servant. But I'm kind of confused. I mean, did he directly talk to them to tell them what to do, or was it just something that he was kind of indirectly doing, kind of in the background? I think it's more likely that for the most part it were things that God was indirectly doing. I'll come back to that in a minute, because there are several times when God would use nations as His instruments where they didn't realize it. A good illustration is Isaiah 10, where God used Assyria as the rod of His anger and the staff of his indignation. But, oh, let's look back there a second. That's probably worth doing that because it, it does really help us with that concept. Even though there may be a, uh, a however in Nebuchadnezzar's case. Um, but, uh, uh, verse 5 of Isaiah 10. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty, to seize plunder, to travel them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it, it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. For it says, are not my princes all kings, etc. So the Assyrian feeling was that they were powerful and they were destroying their enemies. The truth is, God was using the Assyrians as his paddle. 
That's Isaiah 10, verses 5 through uh, 8. There's another illustration of that, if I could extend on that just a moment. God, in Hosea 1-4, punished the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. The bloodshed of Jezreel was Jehu executing God's commission to exterminate the family of Ahab, and then him declaring a big Baal worship celebration and killing off all the Baal worshippers. God wanted the house of Ahab executed. He would want, want the idolaters executed. But God turns around in Hosea 1.4 and punishes the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. Why? I think because as you look more carefully at Jehu, he was not doing this for God. And you can tell that because he didn't live for God the rest of his life. He continued worshiping the golden calves at Dan and Bethel. He wasn't concerned about the will of the Lord. He did it to, to uh, fulfill his own bloodthirsty agenda. When he didn't do it to obey God, then God punished him for it, even though it was actually carrying out God's will and purpose. And when he killed the Baal worshippers, he, he told a lie to get to that point. Saying, oh, Ahab worshipped Baal a little, I'm going to worship him a lot. We're going to have the granddaddy of all Baal celebrations, everybody come. And then he kills everybody who was in there. Uh, God doesn't need lies to promote his cause. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, however, um, there were times that God communicated with Nebuchadnezzar more directly. So Nebuchadnezzar may have at least occasionally have known something about the Lord. You've got Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream that Daniel interpreted. And then you've got especially Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel gave him the warning and then, you know, he 12 months later was bragging about Babylon and God caused him for seven periods of time to uh, be like an ox in the field grazing on the palace lawn and whatever. And then he comes to his senses and he writes Daniel chapter 4 himself telling everybody that they ought to praise and glorify the God of heaven. So there were times that God did communicate with Nebuchadnezzar. Still in all, I don't know at all that God necessarily uh, communicated with him that he was supposed to go to Tyre. God may very well have just been using this. Nebuchadnezzar may have been working for the Lord without knowing it enough. There's another interesting passage as far as Nebuchadnezzar being my servant. You remember what God called Cyrus in Isaiah 45? He called him Messiah, didn't he? He called him Messiah. Cyrus was God's Messiah. Uh, God's anointed one. In uh, Isaiah 45 and verse 1, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, he also, in uh, Isaiah 44, 28, called Cyrus my shepherd. So Cyrus was my shepherd and my Messiah, according to the Lord. Because he was kind of a physical Messiah to redeem the people from physical bondage as the greater Messiah redeemed them from spiritual bondage. But again, uh, Cyrus, I mean, he issued some decrees that sounded pretty good, but, but you know, he was still a... a polytheist. He, he issued decrees for the gods of all the different nations. <laughs> so, But God uses you know, people for his purposes, even when they don't know it. 
sorry, didn't need to go into all that. I do. And then in Ezekiel 29-21, what will God do for Israel? Yeah, he's going to make the horn sprout. He's going to, he's going to lift up their, their horn. Uh, yeah, the horn represents the power of an animal. Always remember, this is not a trumpet horn. This is a animal horn. And the strength of the animals in its horn, or horns. So God's going to make Israel powerful again. How is that? I mean, I guess through Jesus. I think through Jesus primarily. They never really did come to power again as a nation. No, you're right. I agree. Anything else on Ezekiel 29? And then Ezekiel's going to be able to talk again? And he will be able to talk again, just not yet. Is that whose mouth? Is that what it says in 21? Is that what it means? I will open your mouth to speak in their midst. Uh, maybe so, uh, but it's chapter 33 that he actually gets it open. But you think this is referring to? I'm not sure. Two? I'm not sure. It might be. I think it. I think it may be. Do what? I forgot his mouth was closed. Yeah, isn't oh, wait. it? No, no, he opened it in 24, didn't he? Oh, did he? Well, let me look. I, yeah, maybe he did already open it. Well, no, I don't think he did either, did he? He just told him he was going to. Where's that? In the end of 24. Yeah, here's where it is, 3322. That's where he actually opens it. Okay, now... But that was destroyed. Although, this oracle in the 27th year, Ezekiel's mouth has already been opened. That's what I was just going to say. I was, okay. So maybe a thousand of Israel that will open their mouth. I don't know. I'm not okay. sure about all that. Was his mouth open when it was when Jerusalem was destroyed? Yes. When the news came to Babylon that Jerusalem had been destroyed, then Ezekiel's mouth was open. It actually talked something other than just the oracles God put in his mouth. When the news came to Babylon that Jerusalem had fallen. When he did open his mouth, yeah, Ezekiel 33:21, uh, the refugees from Jerusalem came and said the city has been taken, and it was that night. Uh, well, it was the morning that the refugees came, I guess, in 22. Where was it closed? Back in chapter three. Chapter three and verse 26 and 27. 26 especially. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute. Now it's got gag order when released in 2322. That's right. That's a Garyism. Did I say that? Evidently. Because <laughs> you read it in your Bible? I never remember saying something. I would not like have that. called it a gag order, but. I wouldn't have either. <laughs> That's the problem with talking so much. <laughs> Sooner or later, you say almost every combination of words that could be uh, said. <laughs> All right, anything else on 29? All right, how about... second oracle? Yes. We're now on... Thirty verse one to nineteen is the third one. Okay, even though it's out of order. Yeah. Oh, the order. Yeah, we don't even know the time of this one. Okay. This is the only one we don't know the time of. Okay. 
Okay. But yeah, they're in various orders. <laughs> okay. Well, because we like things chronological, but they don't need things chronological. We don't tell stories chronologically. <laughs> we didn't tell about Florida chronologically. No. A lot of things we don't tell chronologically, but we expect in the Bible it's supposed to be chronological. Oh no, we told about the hippos, and then we told about volleyball, and then we told about James, and then they told about sheep rock. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more. <laughs> so, Do you ever study it in a Not a whole lot. I've done a little bit. I've done some in the divided kingdom with integrating the prophets in. Uh, but as far as like studying Ezekiel in order in itself, no, I never have. I really, I think, well, I mean, there's obviously something to seeing the chronology. But as far as studying things in order, I'm not big on that. I'm not big on studying the synoptic gospels, you know, chronologically in parallel. I think I think we get more out of it studying each one individually. In the original manuscripts. They weren't necessarily in this order anyway, weren't they? Or the books themselves, no. But within the book, yes. The books were just like Yes. Yeah. Okay. The Ezekiel would have been just like we have it, but Ezekiel wouldn't necessarily have been in the same order in the list of books. Just not broken down into chapters. Right. Yeah, yeah. The chapter and verse divisions were much order. later. Yeah. Yeah. But but it would follow this pattern. Okay. Questions? Other questions or comments? Chapter 30, verses 1 to 5. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Will, woe to the day, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. The sword shall fall upon Egypt, and great anguish shall be in Ethiopia, and the slain fall in Egypt. And they take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down. Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, all the mingling pe- mingled people, child and related to her allied, shall fail with them by shall fall with them by the sword. Okay, this prophecy is warning about what? <coughs> the allies of Egypt. Yes, but what's coming? The day. The day, the day, the day of the Lord is near. Which day is the day of the Lord? Any day when he judges people? That's it. The day of the Lord is not one specific day that you can mark on the calendar for all time. The day of the Lord is a type of time. It's when the Lord lowers the boom on a particular nation or person or people or whatever. And this day of the Lord, the day when the Lord is, is comes to them, will it be a pleasant thing for Egypt? It will be a cloudy day. And that's not a good sign. Uh, the sword will come, the slain will fall, and Egypt's allies will fall with her. Comments and questions? Yes. Why is, Why is Israel? Well, 
Judah was not Judah was never a constant ally of Egypt. Judah would just turn to Egypt and send him some bribe money and say, come help us when we get in trouble. But I wouldn't consider Judah or Israel the one so much an ally of Egypt like these other people uh, were. Particularly some of these areas were areas near Egypt and Africa. Other comments or questions? Good morning. Morning. Can I join you? Yeah, we won't we won't be long, but you can join us for the, uh, the, the last few minutes. The finale. Yeah. Well, we've been everywhere. I'll tell you what. <laughs> we've earwaxed. <laughs> <You're laughs> <been in years. laughs> no, no, we've already got the wax. We're we'll de-waxed it. We'll de-wax it. Or will de-wax. Ears will be candled. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to hear. They can tell you. We've already been through that one. Did you de-wax them like I do? No, no. I got a candle. They're gonna burn it. Burn <laughs> what? The ears. It's <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not exactly, Dad. I'm trying to ask. You should. Really? We want to watch. Are you really Christian? Really? Truth is, it's not the worst. I think I will see, but I, I mean, Simon Harris swears by it, and apparently worked for Brad, and I think it does. See, worked for Brad. These with you, these these wigs or whatever. You should. I'd like to see them very much. Yeah, it doesn't look like anything. It's just a hollow little candle-like thing, plastic thing. Wouldn't it burn your ear? Oh, no, the flames are way back here. Oh, and it just draws out. You know, the flames are in here. You know what? You have a plate. You lay on your side and you have a plate. I don't know how it all works. A shop back wouldn't pull the wax out of my ear. There's no way that candle would. You put a shop back to your ear? No. I can barely pull it out with a tweezers. Uh, appar- but apparently this really works. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Have you done it It's an ancient homeopathic remedy. I don't know. Uh, I bought six candles and a little booklet for eleven dollars. Oh. We we've been digressing a lot. All right, six to nine. This is Isaiah thirty verses six to nine. Thus says the Lord, Those who uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down. From Migdal to Syene, those within her shall fall by the sword, says the Lord God. They shall be desolate in the midst of the desolate countries, and her cities shall be in the midst of the cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have set a fire in Egypt, and all her helpers are destroyed. On that day, messengers shall go forth from me in ships, to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and great anguish so shall come upon them, as on the day of Egypt, for indeed it is coming. Okay, so what do we learn here? The allies are going to fall. The allies will fall, and Egypt, the pride of her power will come down. <laughs> God hates pride. He will bring her down from Migdol to, to Syene. We saw that. Yes, they are. We, that was back in 2910 also. Migdol was up in the far northeast, and Syene was in the far south. So it's saying from one end of Egypt to the other. Uh, kind of like saying from Dan to Beersheba, right? We've all learned that by now. And uh, 
they will all fall. They'll be desolate. The cities will be devastated. And they will know that I am the Lord. Everybody will be scared off from it. This is a rather hard-hitting prophecy in chapter 30. Just it's very much, you know, judgment, judgment, judgment. It's kind of repetitive. Yes, it is. Very. And why does God repeat? To emphasize. Yeah, I'd say so. Sometimes people are sort of slow. Have to hear something several times to sink in. <laughs> All right. Other comments or questions through nine. Uh, I probably should ask this earlier, but um, I know this may have no correlation at all. But I know I'm. Well, that would be right in line with. Uh, Hopefully, yes. <laughs> with the Bible. Oh. Uh, with with our class. <laughs> I know in uh, Exodus, you know, it deals with Egypt then as well, trying to make Lord known among them. Um, I'm not too educated on the Old Testament, so I don't know all the doings with Egypt. But do you think there would be any main reason why Egypt would be here? Is it just because? Well, Egypt had been a world superpower for millennia. And I think here, mostly because Judah and Israel kept trying to turn to Egypt to help them. When they shouldn't have, and when Egypt never did help anybody. And so I think he's letting his people know very firmly Egypt was going down. It also shows God's power. You know, because, there, you know, years ago, you all too young, but years ago, the two great superpowers in the world world were U.S. and Russia. They kind of balanced each other off. Now, I don't think we got anybody, you know, kind of to balance us off. Uh, but, but back then, it was Egypt and the Eastern power, whether it was Assyria or Babylon or whoever. Kind of had one on each side, and Israel's kind of there in the middle. So whenever Assyria or Babylon or whoever started threatening, they'd run down to Egypt and ask Egypt, come, come help us. You know, but Egypt wouldn't do it. Well, they'd say they would, but they didn't. I don't remember a time when that happened. Oh, they did way back in uh, Rehoboam's reign. Shishak. Yeah, Pharaoh came through. He wasn't really trying to invade, but Josiah, Josiah tried to hit him off at the Megiddo Pass. Other comments or questions? 10 to 12. Thus says the Lord God, I will also make a multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most terrible of the nations, shall be brought to destroy the land. They shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. I will make the rivers dry and sow the land into the hand of the wicked. I will make the land waste and all that is in it by the hand of the aliens, of aliens. I, the Lord, have spoken. Alright, you see so clearly here the relationship between God and Nebuchadnezzar. Who is the one actually uh, responsible for the invasion of Egypt and the des destruction of Egypt? God. What's Nebuchadnezzar's role? Exactly. 
God does this by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and his people, these ruthless people, um, which is how God operates. God is the true actor, but he uses nations. And um, he was going to dry up the Nile, so to speak, uh, which uh, would have been terrible for Egypt, and sell the land in the hands of these evil men who will make the land desolate. So clearly God is going to bring Egypt down and he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, as his tool. Comments or questions? Did Egypt actually hear these prophecies from Ezekiel, or was he just prophesying the prophecies to Israel and not Egypt? He was prophesying these prophecies to the exiles about Egypt. So you don't think Egypt actually heard? Not that I know of. I doubt it. I, I don't think they were for Egypt's benefit at all. I think that for the, the people of Judah who are in exile to understand that Egypt wasn't going to be the great savior. And just to see the greatness of God, the power in the hand of God, how he's able to control every nation. Babylon, because he uses them, and Egypt, because he uses Babylon to bring them down. Once you see God in that way, you trust him more. You rely on him more. Any other comments or questions? All right, well, I probably ought to stop about here, but uh, it was good to, to do this, and uh, I think next week is okay. There's even a slight chance I can do the following, but I'm not sure, but at least next week's in place as far as I know. So. Yeah, dude, you, you...